Hello and welcome to the Shiny Bees podcast, a podcast for those who like their knitting, comedy and yarn in equally large measures. I'm your host Joan Milmai and this is episode 61, Hat Architect, an interview with Woolly Wormhead. Yarn in the City creates experiential, yarn-centric events for knitters and makers designed to bring people together through a shared love of craft. Yarn in the City organises the Great London Yarn Crawl, taking place on Saturday the 5th of September 2015. For more information and to book your tickets, go to www.yarninthecity.com today. Hello everybody and welcome to the show. A warm welcome to any new listeners that are joining us today for the first time and a hearty welcome back to anyone who is a returning listener. It's always great to have you with me and I really appreciate you all tuning in. Today is Tuesday the 25th of August. How are you all? I hope you've all been well since last week when I spoke to you last. We had, after my um, writing off, the rest of the Scottish summer. We had a weekend of reasonably warm weather, which was quite a surprise, I must admit, as I wandered down the beach with no flip-flops on in the beating hot sun. But as uh, you would probably imagine, things have returned to a somewhat more steady state of a bit cold and a bit minging this week. Still, that means there's always plenty time for getting a bit of knitting in, making your selections for your winter wardrobe, planning your projects and welcoming, if you ever left, the chunky, lovely delight of a bulky yarn and some big needles. So what do I have for you today? Well, I have a couple of quick notices before we start the show and then I have an interview with the wonderful Woolly Wormhead. So get yourself a rooibos, because that's how we roll, or possibly even an Irish coffee. I'm in that kind of mood today. And we will crack on with the show. So just a couple of quick news points for you before we go straight into the interview with Woolly. First up, not sure if I mentioned it, might not have told you, but... The podcast has been nominated in two categories for the UK Podcasters Awards, which will be taking place on the 12th of September in Manchester. The voting for this closes on the 31st of August, so last final push this week, please, to send it to anyone you know who will vote for us, and um, let's get those last uh, numbers up against the other podcasts in the two categories, which are Games and Hobbies and Most Engaged Audience which was amazing to be voted into the finals of and that's all down to you guys and your efforts. So last big push please, if you can send it to anyone that hasn't voted, if you can vote yourself if you're out in a boat, it would be really very much appreciated. You'll all no doubt be pleased to hear that progress on the Shawl of Awesome, which I have undertaken, now you know me, I'm not much of a fast knitter, I'm certainly not a committed monogamous knitter, Um, But I have been, for you guys, um, the Shawl of Awesome, hashtag Shawl of Awesome, as it is now known, is progressing at pace and with gusto. And I am on 38 rows to go, 
38 rows to go. So I've worked out that if I do three rows a day, I can have it finished in two weeks. So that's what I'm going to do. I did four rows last night because I'm a little overachiever. And um, yeah, I'm knitting this beautiful shawl in dye for yarn, 100% silk, two strands of light lace weight held double, beautiful size five uh, Miyuki triangle beads, which are glinty and wonderful. And I'm on chart D now, which is going into the hardcore lace section. Uh, but as I mentioned, Boonitz, who is the designer of the shawl, which is called Out of Darkness, is an absolute genius. And she specialises in designing knitting patterns that have a really complicated finish, looking finished object, but are deceptively easy to knit. And as I said last week, I was knitting on the pub in this. So, it, you know, it really isn't a difficult pattern. So if you're starting out... Don't be frightened by the sort of ornate and complicated looking nature of these patterns because they're really well written, they're very well explained, everything's totally clear to follow and as long as you've got your stitch markers in, you are only doing a 12 stitch repeat for the most part. So it is really straightforward and very achievable for pretty much everyone I would say. So I think we might do a little shawl knit along after this because it's been lonely on my own um, even though I've been sharing it with you all on Instagram. Um, every night I'm sort of checking in and, and showing off my somewhat slow progress. I'm four rows later on now. Look, look at my short looks just like it did last time. And I try and take a tip on different chairs to keep it interesting for you. Um, but yeah, I think we might do a little knit along of, uh, of shawls after this is finished. Cause I can see definitely some more boonets in my future. So that's progressing well. So I'm doing my part. Hopefully you guys are doing your part and you're doing your voting. And fingers crossed that I'll have a beautiful shawl to wear and maybe a couple of awards to pick up on the 12th of September. In other news, our ongoing um, giveaway for some Rusty Ferret yarn is still open. So if you want a chance to win some Rusty Ferret yarn and a project bag, as uh, discussed in episode 60, which was an interview with the lovely Leona of Fluff, Rusty Ferret is a Dundee-based dyer, they're quite new and definitely on the endangered list in terms of it, there's not much of it out there at the moment. So it'd be definitely a good idea to get in there now. The colourway, stop laughing. I can hear you all laughing already. Don't laugh. The colourway is called Blued for Girders. I can't say it. I sound like I'm half Afrikaans trying to say that. Girders. I used to I used to have a Scottish accent when I was a kid apparently, but not anymore, clearly. Um, Blued for Girders is... Um, is going to be on uh, the giveaway yarn. I'm completely distracted now. And it is a beautiful shade of Illuminous Iron Brew Orange. And the giveaway question is, what is your favourite crazy Scottish thing that you would like turned into yarn? Now, even if you don't want to enter, get yourself over to the group because there are some quality comedy answers in there. Someone has been talking about the underneath of men's kilts already on the, in about the first five posts. So that's the kind of level we're going in at. And it's the kind of level that, frankly, I can't get enough of. I love it. So get in there and put your favourite crazy Scottish thing that you'd like to see turned into yarn and you never know rusty ferret might uh, might even go for some of these that'd be uh, that'd be quite good fun i think i could definitely get involved in some of that the great london yarn crawl is coming up soon and i've opened a thread in the group so if you're going please do pop over and let me know it's taking place on the 5th of september in london with a pop-up marketplace at the uh, Chelsea Town Hall. It's going to be great fun, I think. A lot of you seem to be going, and please do um, 
come and find me even if you're a bit shy or you're not maybe on Ravelry or in the Ravelry group come and um, come and find me on the day and please do say hello to me and um, I'd love to meet you all I can't wait so I think it's about time that we because we're going for a fairly pasty delivery today uh, and that's in no way to do with the strength of tea that I drank at a networking meeting this morning but we're going to go on to the interview. Now, for those of you that are not familiar with Woolly Wormhead, she is a knitting designer who is obsessed with all things hats. She's the author of eight books dedicated to hats, and she delights in exploring the extremities to which you can take the humble hat. Drawing on her background as an engineer and also in uh, fine art, she focuses on the sculptural aspects of hat design. She is a hat architect and she invites you to be too. So I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Woolly Wormhead onto the show. This episode is sponsored by Yarn in the City. Yarn in the City organises the annual Great London Yarn Crawl, which is taking place this year on Saturday the 5th of September. This year's Yarn Crawl will also feature the addition of a one-day pop-up marketplace taking place at Chelsea Old Town Hall and featuring over 30 vendors from London and around the UK. To top off the weekend, on Sunday the 6th of September 2015, Yarn in the City will be hosting author, pattern designer and technical editor Kate Atherley for two workshops in central London. Introduction to Knitwear Design and Pattern Writing Skills. For more information and to book your tickets to these events, head over to www.yarninthecity.com. I'm delighted to welcome Woolly Wormhead on the show today. How are you, Woolly? I'm fine, thank you, and thank you for having me. It's lovely to be here. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, so for those people who maybe don't know you as well, can you tell us a bit about you as a person and about how you came to be interested in yarning pursuits? Okay, I design hats and only hats and probably always will be only hats. Um, for me, hats are a combination of all the things that interest me. I, am, I have obviously my, uh, my interest in knitting and I've been knitting since I was a child. My mum taught me when I was three. Um, um, I used to um, be an art teacher and I have a specialism in fine art textiles in textile sculpture specifically and prior to that I was an electronics engineer so all of these things come together brilliantly in hats in the way obviously I'm knitting um, I am to me hats are wearable sculptures so I think about it as a 3d form and the way that the structure fits around our heads and the way that we can create sculptures and different shapes that come away from that just simple circle that fits around our head and of course the problem solving side and the logical side fits together very very well with working out stitch counts and thinking about design elements and how they can repeat um in terms of who i am i travel a lot i spend a lot of my time in a double decker bus which quite a few people might know about and we're always exploring and looking at new ways of uh, living and places to go and i think that also is reflected in the way that i work in the way that I approach design, especially my photography. Oh, brilliant. So you mentioned you were a teacher before mm -hmm. and you were an electronics engineer as well. Yes. Um, so what was the tipping point that turned your hobby and, and your knitting and your design into a full-time business? Well, 
teaching, I love teaching and I love working with the kids, but I, I, it was too much for me. I eventually got burnt out and I was actually medically retired from teaching, which was probably a, quite a blessing in disguise, really. And during my final year of teaching, I started blogging and that's when I became Willy Wormhead. And then once I'd stopped teaching to help me sort of recover because I'd basically had a breakdown, I was working more and more with my knitting, but also those little bits of problem solving, those little beginning design elements, the little things that kept my brain ticking over and they helped me recover and get myself back together. But And there I had was this amazing thing that suddenly a new window had opened up and it was just brilliant because it was just everything worked. It was like leaving teaching the way I did was meant to be because everything fell into place from there. So you've mentioned that you travel around and um, your design work, you've talked about it a little bit, but what does a typical day look like for you? Oh, I don't think I've got a typical day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at the moment, a typical day is kind of like um, we're in the UK, which is our, our, our other base, and I'm just surrounded by stuff and we're trying to kind of just sort things out. And when I'm when I'm here, my day is very, very different because my studio is portable. So I have to work out how it's going to fit in. Um, but I'm say get up in the morning and do my emails and try and find some knitting time. Um, I, no, I don't know if it's a difficult day at all. I don't know. I mean, when we're in Italy, it's very, very different because I've got a I've got a bit more of a studio there in a trailer. So everything's a bit more mapped out so I can focus a little bit more there. So I tend to travel less when we're there and travel more when we're here. So it's it it's it's very unpredictable, which is mostly well, I could do with it being a bit more predictable sometimes, I have to say. <laughs> but the beautiful thing about hats is they're very, very portable. So I just take them with me and I've got my notebook, I've got my phone for recording everything I do, and so I'm always working, even if I'm sitting on the train, I'm always working. Super. So when you are designing one of your hats then, can you tell us a little bit about your creative process when you develop a new design? Oh, okay. Um, sometimes it starts with a yarn and sometimes it starts with a, some texture or something I've seen somewhere. I'm quite influenced by um, design, especially kind of modern industrial design, because you know, I, I live in a bus and I'm very interested in vehicles and that kind of transition and I'm much more kind of, I like tyres and big bits of metal and things like that. So, and, so that's the kind of architecture, architecture that I would be influenced by from a design. But sometimes it is the yarn that just sort of says it wants to be something. When I start designing a hat, I always start with the crown. Um, I remember reading on Ravelry back in the really early days where somebody was talking about, they were talking about hat design somewhere and somebody said, well, what's the point in worrying about a crown? Because nobody ever looks at the crown of the hat. And I was absolutely mortified because it was just kind of, the crown is the part of the hat where everything comes together. And it is, everybody does see the crown of a hat. It's not hidden away just because it's on top of your head. And to me, it's kind of like the culmination of all the other elements that you bring into the hat they come and finish off at that point so for when I'm designing that's where I start I start there and then I work out what I want it to come so it's like the design spreads out from that center point and comes down around the shape that you can't see my my hands are describing everything sculpturally here trying to show you how I design a hat <laughs> but that's that's my, my my flow of a process it I might well be influenced by a stitch pattern or a texture I've seen somewhere that I want to incorporate into the body of the hat um, but I will start thinking about where the numbers work at the crown and I'll know whether it's gradable before I even start designing a hat because um, I like to have at least three sizes in all my patterns so if I can't get that out of it then it, it doesn't go anywhere as a rule although I've just said that and I'm working on some designs that, are, that can't be graded at all. <laughs> <laughs> I love it there's nothing like breaking your own rules. Exactly. <laughs> That's what rules are for. Exactly. <laughs> 
and well what about obviously um you, you just mentioned you've got your studio in Italy and you've been redoing that recently. I've been watching the progress on Instagram and things. Yes. How are you finding having that fixed studio is affecting your work and your design? Well, I've never had that much space to myself before, so I'm still a little bit overwhelmed by it, I think. Um, the trailer isn't mine. It's my, it's my partner's mum's trailer, so I'm kind of just using it for the time being. So I, a part of me... No, it doesn't want to get too attached to it and it, but it's amazing it's absolutely brilliant because it has so much light um it's an old um german army trailer from world war ii and it's got a domed roof and windows that line all the way down the side and it's just an incredible space to be in because there is so much light but also because of the way that it was designed the trailers originally were quite designed to be modular so they could be stacked joined up together various bits and pieces the space inside is absolutely brilliant because I've been able to utilise every single corner of it, that nothing gets wasted at all. So it's really, really good. Loads of storage in there, and I'm loving it. I think it's going to be um, very, very helpful in my creative process. I think I'm going to be able to sit in there. I'm looking forward to when we get back at some point and, and sitting in there and just designing and, and having it all there so that I don't have to... I'll be decluttered and be able to focus much more. Yeah, definitely. It looks like a great space. I'm very excited. It is, yeah, I'm really, really excited about it. But as I say, it's not it's not really mine. I can't get too attached to it. <laughs> so but no, it's lovely. It's lovely. Lovely. So, um no journey in life is ever a smooth one. A hammer in a business has its ups and downs. <laughs> um, can you tell us about a time that things maybe haven't quite gone to plan. What happened and what did you learn as a result of it? I've been thinking about this and I don't know if there's one time specifically, but I think there's been several times when I've had to sit and rethink about what I'm doing and where I'm going and where my focus is. Um, and I think those times when I've fallen off my own path or those times when my confidence has been quite low and I felt influenced or pressured to kind of try something that I wasn't 100% confident about or feeling that my designs don't fit in quite well with the mainstream or something I'm doing isn't quite right when actually really it was right because it was my thing does that make sense so it's it's yeah. I think one of the my, my my falling point and it does happen periodically and it can happen whether it's whether it's in my designing whether it's the yarns I choose or whether it's the way I approach my photography or even the way I blog I find myself sometimes being quite influenced by peer pressure and what's going on around. And I, then I, I, my confidence goes completely because I think, I'm not doing that. I'm not like that. And I start to worry. And then I start to try that thing. And then I find it doesn't work. And then six months down the road, I think to myself, that was daft. Why don't you just do what you do anyway? Because that's your strength. So I think, I don't know if it's, it's a particular one instance of failing, but it's a kind of like a, a wave of motion um, that I, as a little blip that I kind of lose my way. No, that makes perfect sense and um, it's something that a lot of other people have, when I've interviewed them, have brought up about being your own sort of authentic self and finding your own voice and sticking to that even when other people aren't doing the same thing that you're doing. Exactly, it's something I feel really, really strongly about but it's very, very hard to do because there are so many other things going on. The industry at the moment, is all there. there's so much activity but there's also lots of Voices merging and you just think, mm, I don't know what to do about that or say about that because people have opinions. Everybody's entitled to opinions. But at the same time, I sit there and wonder, I think, that's not me. It's not like me. What am I doing wrong? And it's, it is 
I've got to, you have, every, I think everybody has to remember to try and stick to who they are because that is where your strength is. Absolutely. Nobody is, well, you don't have any competition. If you're just concentrating on being you, there is no competition because nobody can be you better than you. So Exactly. And I think that's part, part of, part of my problem certainly is that I forget that it's not a competition. It's not a popularity contest. It doesn't matter if I don't get all the favorites on a design. It doesn't matter if I don't get into the top 10 on, on Ravelry, that kind of stuff. I rarely do. And it's just kind of, you know, what does that matter? Because my designs, I'm happy with my design. And if the people that like my designs are happy, then isn't that what, that's all I need, isn't it? I don't need to be part of a competition. I don't feel, want to feel like I'm being pressured in some way. I think we all get it. I think it's all our own creative securities that we all have. And I think that in turn is what makes us stamp our own feet to say, this is who I am. And then and in turn, somebody goes, oh, oh, that's who you are. Mm, who am I? It's like a knock-on effect. Yeah, definitely. Um, and the other thing is as well is if you want to get into the top 10 on Ravelry, then you can. Just give out a free pattern and you'll be in the top 10. doesn't mean it's any good. It means it's free. <laughs> exactly it's you know it's just a practice it doesn't it's no reflection on the quality of the design at all and it's no reflection on whether or not it's there's going to be longevity to the design either really because yeah. that's what you've got to for you want to aim for something that's, well for me personally i feel i want to aim for something that's sustainable rather than a kind of one-hit wonder yeah um certainly and the ones that do that they're always in the top on the front page you know yeah. they might not be in the top 20 necessarily but they'll always be on the first page of the results yeah. when you open patterns um, yeah because they do have that quality as you say so let's take it the other way and say what's been the high point of your journey so far oh um hmm, i don't know mm, that's tricky <laughs> there have been several um we'll have them all then you know <laughs> I know that I was really, really excited when Plenty Woolly Toppers came together. I felt like for um, for the first time in a few years that I brought a project together that really reflected it 100% the way I wanted it to be. Um, from the way that the photography worked, from the colour reproduction in printing, so many things in that book came together that, that really ticked all my happy buttons. Um, and that's only just recently come out, so that's kind of still quite fresh and it's still very, very good. And it just... It's, it's a book that makes me very, very happy. Um, and it's had a really positive response so far as well, which is really good because when it's really nice when something you like is also liked by other people. <laughs> True. <laughs> it kind of like, it, it gives, it just kind of confirms that you were, you're doing it right then, love. <laughs> <laughs> um, another point that was really proud was also my, my, my first book, which going straight, um, which was, a much much bigger book I don't work on such big books now because they're quite time-consuming and I don't always feel that I ne necessarily get reflected back the amount of work I put in going straight was probably a perfect example of that because it's my poorest selling book um, but I still love it because it was a challenge that I did myself to design 24 well I did more than 24 but lots and lots of hats designed sideways turning construction everything on its side which is quite a big task really for a first self-published book but I'm still really, really proud of it. Um, and the way that the people, it, so not many, it's, it's my worst selling book, but those that have bought it absolutely love it and still write to me now and tell me how useful it is and all the tutorials and kitchen on all of those things. So that's still, that's still really been a high point, even though that was what, uh, eight years ago now. Wow. Mm. Yeah. It's funny, it's nice to have done something like that 
um, and still feel the value in it now and still have people tell me their value in it. It's, it's really, really nice, really reassuring. So, again, I'm going to take you off down a rabbit hole now. <laughs> what would be your top tips for people who would love to write a book or do a book of designs and self-publish? What would be your top tips? Okay. Know your limitations. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I do my own photography. Um, I didn't originally. Going straight, um, a, a good friend of mine, Pixel Diva, she did the photography of that and she did a brilliant job. Um, I now do my own photography because I've taught myself to because it's part of my creative vision that the way that I want to convey my designs I have to be able to know how it's part through the through how it works through the lens that the whole environment is part of it. Um, I also have taught myself how to do layout work because again that feels like it's part of my process and I do everything on open source so I'm, I'm kind of a bit odd like that because it's really quite hard to get other layout designers to sort of like work with me um, because I just have rather peculiar software and I don't have the same software as everybody else. So I have learned through those processes what I can and cannot do. Um, I've stuck rather doggedly to using a particular type of software because I know that software well and I know what I can achieve with it and what I can't achieve with it rather than trying to leap in at the deep end with another type of software that I know nothing about and then end up kind of kind of muddling through and then looking at it and thinking actually I really didn't achieve my best there because I didn't know what I was doing. So I think it's really really important to know what you are capable of doing and what you are not capable of doing. Um, and this isn't this okay this is gonna sound a bit odd having just said when this this industry isn't a competition but it's really really useful to look at the quality of other people's work to see what where the industry standard is um because if one thing that certainly probably came mostly out of ravelry because that's when all the designers started to appear in one place it was much easier to be able to see what everybody was doing but the one thing i learned there was the quality of the photography that people were putting out um more and more people back then were doing it themselves. I think now there's quite a few sort of like photographers for knitwear designers and there's much more contracting and liaisons and, and, and you know, collaborations that are going on. Um, but it, I, I looked around, I thought, right, okay, this is what I need, this is my weak spot. This is what I need to put my effort into um, to be able to present my work better. Because I used to take photographs of them on, on polystyrene heads. The hot polystyrene heads would be painted down, which I thought were more interesting. But actually, really, when I look back at those photographs, they were blooming awful. And I do so much better now because I've kind of like been quite critical of what I've been achieving. Pushing myself, I'm a perfectionist. <laughs> I think that's a good thing. You know, there's nothing wrong with doing something and then looking back at it and going, right, okay, what have I learned from that? How can I make it better? Yes, and yes I think it's really, yeah, it's really important to really reevaluate and see where you've fallen down. See what you know, look at the quality of your work. Don't think just because you're self-published, it's really, really hard when you're self-published because you do have to wear so many hats, which I don't mind doing. You do ways. like a hat. <laughs> I like a good hat. I'll have another one. But it's just, you have to be able to look at what, be realistic about what you're able to achieve. There are so many people now that can help with photography and layout work. Obviously, don't ever, ever do your own tech editing. That should go without saying. And and you know, realize what you you are capable of doing and what you're not capable of doing. Copy editing, for instance, writing the writing the blurb, I cannot do to save my life. I outsource that every single time. Because otherwise I just sit there and give the objective facts and it's really dry and that's just, you know, so that's one thing I outsource on a regular basis. That's my weak spot now. No, oh, brilliant. Thank you for that. So um 
Which one thing then that you know now did you wish you had known when you picked up that first ball of yarn? Bear in mind you were three years old. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to have known how to graph when I was three, really. Because <laughs> I'm uh, <laughs> um, that you're always learning, it never ends. You don't, you pick it up and you just think you've mastered something and it's just like, actually you haven't. There's just so much to learn. It's, it's, and it's always a new development, something new to explore. I know that now, it's brilliant, I love it. But it's, it's just, yeah, always something new to try out. And sometimes it's always the obvious things that you don't realise, because I was mostly self-taught. My mum taught me to knit, but there were lots of things that I worked out for myself. For instance, I worked out how to do short rows. I, d I didn't know what they were called, and then when I got on the internet, however many years later, it's like, oh, that's what they are. <laughs> Desert Island skeins. If you were going to be marooned on Desert Island and could only take one skein or ball of yarn, what would you take and why? Mm, this is a really tough question. Um, probably a skein of Malabrigo Rios. It was a tough call between Lorna's Laces Shepherd Worsted and the Rios, but I think the Rios has probably gonna. It's it's a slightly stronger yarn, so it's probably just gonna survive on a desert island slightly better. I think. Lorna's laces are very, very soft. I'll probably just wear it out too quickly. <laughs> <laughs> I love hand-dyed yarns. And I sat there, when, when I read this question, I sat there for ages trying to think. And there are so many. I, it's really, really hard to choose one. I'm working with some handmade, um, handmade and best at the moment. And that's just delicious. It's just like, right, would I take this? I think, mmm, I don't know, I don't know. So, yes, I'm a bit of a fail there, really. I think I'd probably be the person trying to smuggle in more than one. Don't worry, lots of people do that. <laughs> yeah. You either get the super sensible ones who want like kitchen cotton or you get the ones who are effortlessly stylish and take lace weights so they'll have more of it and they can make a lovely garment or you get the ones who are just like, yeah, I'm going to take something beautiful and yeah. enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. And then you get the ones who are like, can I not take some more? No, yeah. no you can't. The question is one. <laughs> you may so not take tools either. <laughs> Well, as, as somebody that's quite used to kind of traveling an awful lot and being limited by airline um, weights and everything, I'm quite used to wearing skins and yarn around my neck or wrapping them around my wrist and just kind of smuggling through more yarn than I'm supposed to have. That is brilliant because you hear all these stories and I think, what, well, please don't do this, where people hide knitting needles in their hair or in their pencil cases <laughs> or they sharpen a bit of bamboo just to knit on the fly with a pencil sharpener. I've never heard anyone say this, they've smuggled yarn on before. <laughs> you just wear it. It's really sensible, really. <laughs> it's amazing. Love it. Oh, So what is your uh, favourite or your go-to resource for yarn craft or for business that you couldn't do without? Well, rubber is pretty important. Um, I... Mm, yeah, I'd probably use Ravelry more for because uh, I uh, one of the most important things that I like to do is to research yarn and find out how many plies it's got, what kind of gauge it's got, and look at it textures. Prior to doing the fine art degree in textiles and post doing the engineering, I also did a degree in um, textiles BSc, so looking at industrial and textiles. So I kind of like, I'm quite 
I'm quite good with kind of like sussing out yarns and how they're going to work. So I do tend to, from photographs and things, because it's looking at the plies and things. Um, so I do tend to research the yarns and look to see what's about to find out whether it's going to be suitable for a project or a comparable substitute. That's that's one of the biggest things that I actually use the internet for. I do that more than talking to people. <laughs> um, so, yes. Um, Yarndex I used to use a lot, but I don't use it as much now. I'm not so concerned with colourways. I'm looking at more of the other information that people have to say about the way that the yarn works and the feedback and the comments on it um, to see whether or not it's going to work for what I want it to do. Hmm. Also, I talk to people as well on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. It's really interesting. Yeah. But no, I think Ravelry is probably just, it's still a very, very important area. Super. Well, I have some extra questions that I'm going to sneak in here, if you don't mind. No, um, I don't mind. <laughs> I've been on Periscope this morning and um, asked to the people what they would like to hear from you. So it's mostly Brits, I think, so obviously the Americans are not quite up out of bed yet. Yeah, that's um, fine. And one that came up about three or four times was, what is your favourite cake? <laughs> okay, this is, I actually really don't like cake. <laughs> But, but, um, I'm allergic to wheat, so um, I tend not to, I don't miss cake in that sense, but Tom, my partner, does make me a really, really nice carrot cake. I quite like the savoury cakes. If I'm going to have something, I don't do sweet. So probably carrot cake would be my favourite. But without all the cream and extra icing and stuff on top, just a good, decent, gluten-free carrot cake. Almost healthy, that. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely yeah. meat by the day. Exactly. <laughs> Um, a couple of the others we've already kind of talked about. Someone asked about what inspires your designs, which I think you covered really well earlier. Um, but someone else has asked, how have your designs developed over time from when you started? Hmm. I, I've got. I think I, my designs go through phases. I get. I get really interested in the technique, like I was saying with going straight. My first book, getting obsessed with sideways hats, which I still am a little bit. But I like to explore a technique or a construction method to the full, and then I'll, I'll move on to something else. So, I look back. There was a big period, and sort of from about two thousand and nine for a couple of years, where I was working an awful lot with lace patterns and incorporating them into uh, shaping for the crown. Again, that's my other thing. Working out ways of trying to adjust the lace pattern, which is something I really, really enjoy doing. Then there was another phase where I did lots and lots of cables, especially with book for twisted woolly toppers and thinking about twisted stitches and how um, the fabric changes when you start manipulating the stitches. So I think they've changed in the sense that. Um, I've explored, so I've gone out widthways rather than in, in, in a different direction. Um, but I also think perhaps they're not as off the wall as they used to be. I don't know. Maybe I'm not the right person to pass that judgment. But I sort of look back at some of my really early designs and just, I love them because they were really pointy and sticky-uppy and I want to make more pointy and sticky-up things. But I haven't done that for a while. So, hmm, that's, that's one area I think it's changed. Do you think it's because when you first start out, you're desperate to do something like that's different and groundbreaking and amazing? Yes, you want to leave your mark. Yes, I think that's part of it. And I think... One of the for the next pro, the next project I'm working on turning heads I am going back to those sticky uppy kind of outy things they're going to be much more sculptural but they're going to be much more refined I think that's something that happens over time your your design process refines but it's 
I feel like I want to go back to this because that is where my mark is. That's the kind of first mark that I made. And it's actually where it feels like it's my home to be in sticky uppy hats. <laughs> For want of a better description. I'm totally down with you with the sticky uppy hats. <laughs> They're great fun. That You know, you just, you can wear them. You've got something. Not everybody wants to wear something that everybody's going to be staring at. I, I appreciate that. But it's just kind of like you, you're wearing a statement piece. You've got something that nobody else has, has has got i mean you that's the case with the majority of hand knits anyway but you when you when you've been able to push a piece of fabric or a design to its limit and and try it out and and, and make it a big sculpture thing because obviously in knitted fabric it's really really hard to get things to just be sticky uppy without felting them so you've actually got something that's actually kind of constructionally rather interesting too that's my justification i'm sticking to it <laughs> that's um, super, I've got another one from one of our lovely male listeners, um, Russell. He wants to know about hats for men. Have you got any kind of top tips or favourite ideas or patterns or designers that do hats specifically for the gentleman in life? I do quite a few designs for men and I run them past Tom from a design process and I have to kind of consider what he would wear and I find it really, really hard. I actually find design for men hard because you can't goers out there um yeah, the design process would be much more subtle and um i don't know anybody that does specifically do designs for men only not hats no um just trying to think that is another week for you there then fellas woolly toppers <laughs> <laughs> well, this is it yes no i have i have been thinking about doing a men's woolly toppers and it's really really interesting because um from a business point of view, men's hats don't sell all that well. And I don't know why, because everybody always asks for them. And I've got quite a few. I've probably got a good 20-odd designs for men. Um, but they really don't. From a business point of view, it's absolutely fascinating. It's kind of like, well, and I think it's because men, well, so I'm told, I don't know whether this is coming from the men themselves or from the women that knit for the men, that the men don't want anything other than their standard beanie. And I don't know if that's true or not. So if it's not true, I want to hear from men and I want to hear what kind of designs you want to wear. There you go, gauntlet laid down, guys. And there's quite a few male listeners on my podcast. And uh, tweet her, tweet Woolly, and let her know what you want. There you go. Yeah, go for it. Go for it. I don't know. I think, because it's one of those things that when you knit for a bloke, you like socks or a hat, it, you're not going to go for a jumper because it's too much effort, the massive. And they'll probably leave you if you believe the folklore. So <laughs> it's either socks or hat. So... Yeah, and it's I, I hear so many times that you know, and it's kind of like, well, mm, he's not sure about that because he doesn't like this or doesn't like that. And I don't know, I don't. From what I hear, men are fussier than women about what they want to wear in a hat. But I don't know if they're actually as, as less adventurous as I I'm led to believe. There's got to be a market in hipster hats, though. There's got to be one. Yeah, slouchy, slouchy, slouchy. Yeah, that's where the hipster market is at. But if you look at what what the lot the, 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 the tongue tied, if you look at a lot of what the slouchy hats that the hipsters are wearing, they're still very very plain from a design point of view. There's really not a great deal in them. Um, there would just be a really kind of low texture. There might be some bit one or two big chunky cables, but as a whole, they're not very well. Well, not very well. They're not. From uh, what's, what am I trying to say? I don't know what I'm trying to say. I'll get they're the words out. Very up. exciting. <laughs> no, they're not very exciting. As I, from a design point of view, they don't push any boundaries either. They feel very safe. Nothing wrong with safe, but that's just that's just my um, that's my feeling about them. So if you know, if anybody does want something a little bit different, tell me, and I'll, I'll get working on it. I've got a male model. I can put out. I can put out 
men's hat patterns. Yeah, totally. And he's got a beard as well. So he's got perfect. He does <laughs> when he can handle it. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, so I had another one about um, what it's like to live um, or to spend time rather um, in an artist's commune. Hmm. That's a. I've only got the experience of the one on Mutonia. Um, and probably the person that knows that I might Mutonia probably also know that we've had a very difficult couple of years trying to um, keep our sight and keep our right to be there, which we've, we've won, which has been absolutely amazing. We've had incredible support, especially from the knitting community for, you know, fundraising and raising awareness over that, which has been brilliant. Um, I, I like it. It's not for everyone because you are you are living so closely with each other you have to make decisions between because we're self-governing so you have to be able to work with each other or not um you there's people politics are much more apparent than they would be say if you're just kind of living in a village or living in a town you're you you have to be critically aware of what other people are thinking or what other people want to do because that you're living on top of each other but i don't mind that because the the, the flip side of it is that you have got an immediate community you've got such an amazing network of people around you that are all like-minded even if you all got different opinions about um your art and various other things you are all there for the same reason and you are there to all support each other and we've been aaron for instance he's he's got so much freedom there he gets up in the morning he gets on his bike and he just goes to see someone he goes, and he doesn't care what age they are where they're from if there's a new person on site come to sort of like park up for a couple of weeks he just goes off and chats and he just goes and finds people and he's got the freedom to do that because we're all looking out for each other and because we've got no we've got no fences and barriers and that kind of thing around we've got no roads coming through so he has got the freedom of being able to go wherever he wants to see whoever he wants because he knows that he's safe and people are going to go and say hello to him it's in he's got um so much confidence from from people that he's very very sociable in that way and I think that's a really really good thing about it is that it's he's built that that network up and the ability to talk in two languages and communicate on so many different levels with different people but again it's to say it's not it's it's very very different to living in a house very different to living in a flat because we lived in a block of flats once before and there and this was in London and the neighbours didn't talk to each other at all you know who you were but there was no you wouldn't pop around and see each other or do anything and this is like a very close-knit village but even more so so you are in each other's pockets and you end up because we've got a recycling area when you're bored of your clothes you put them in a recycling area and you end up seeing other people wearing your clothes and you just get used to that and everybody kind of swaps things and it's it's an awful lot of sharing um so you become part of one very dense knitted fabric really oh that's really cool it sounds co well especially for for a kid as well to be i think it's a very sort of rare thing these days for children to have that sort of freedom now it is it is and it's one thing that when when Aaron was born we were in a council flat in London and we both decided that we just you know we're just going to hit on the road because it's just like everybody's like well you can't go traveling now you just had a child it's kind of like no actually this is the perfect time to go traveling because this is the perfect time for him to learn about more about life because if we're just stuck in that council flat in in southeast London he'd be a very very different child now and he wouldn't have any of the freedom that he has now and he's developing skills that come with it um so it was a it to a lot of people, it looked like a very tough decision to make, but actually it wasn't. It was a very straight walk. We've done it for our own. We've done it for ourselves, really, because we're just kind of we're just that way inclined anyway. Um, but it's 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 been brilliant for him. Oh, he's a very sweet child. 
and he's very, he is very incredibly sociable. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so you can't stop him talking sometimes to people. <laughs> <laughs> Which that. is brilliant. <laughs> oh, super. So, where is the best place for the listeners to come find you then? On my website, or oh, right, okay. My website is woollywormhead.com. I tend to hang out either on Twitter as Woolly Wormhead or on Instagram as Woolly Wormhead or on Ravelry again as Woolly Wormhead but I'm not on Ravelry I'm only on there every few days at the moment because I'm traveling a lot so I don't always have the time to switch on my laptop whereas at least with um, Twitter and Instagram uh, they're on my phone so I can normally um, be found there although I don't if people will need to get in touch and ask me a question about a pattern they just email me because I don't do custom service on Twitter I'm afraid I can't there's not enough characters and it gets very complicated so Yes, Twitter, Instagram, email, or my website, those places. Super. And your website does have a lot of really good resources as well in terms of tutorials for certain um, Yeah, I'm aspects, trying to so. build up a few more as well because I'm really into the techniques. It's something I really like to encourage people to learn. So I'm trying to build that up even more. Lovely. So have you got any parting words then of advice for those who would like to get into the industry? Yes, I think we've covered the bits already. Basically, be yourself, be authentic, but also know your limits. Don't don't go in with your head in the clouds. Be quite realistic. You don't have to be a perfectionist. You don't have to be super critical of yourself. You just have to be aware of what you can and can't do. And then when you know those things, find out what you can do to either sort it out, either to hire somebody, outsource something, or we'll learn how to do it yourself, that then fits in with who you are. Because we're all different. We're all different creatively. We've all got our own style. We all work different hours. We can't all be one thing. We have to. We have to be ourselves. Otherwise, you just start to fall apart. The cracks will will show really quickly. So know what you need to do. Find out what you can't do, and then work it all out to make sure that you stay on your path to be you. Really, that's what you need to do. That's where. That's where I think all of us fall at some point. Is we we lose our way in because our creative insecurities or just kind of kick in, and then just remember to be your core self, and then you you'll be all right. Perfect. So let's get a bit excited because we like to finish on a ridiculously exciting note. What's next for your business? What can we look forward to from you over the next few months? Sticky pointy hats. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm working on, I'm working on, I mean, I'm working on turning heads, which is where the book where I break my own rules because these are not gradable hats I'm having to grade them through needle sizes which is perfectly doable but I like the challenge of grading a hat with maths but these ones they can't they're very very sculptural there's a lot of heavy technique in there and they but I want to make I want to push wearability as far as I can I want to actually have pieces that are constructed from knitted fabric that's that have the true sculptural form that are still wearable, but they are pushing each one of those limits. Um, and I'm, I've done it. I've done a few of the designs so far, um, and I'm just getting mad ideas from all the time. And I've been collecting all the yarn, so it's a slow project. It's a, it's a project of love. It's not something I'm going to rush. But this is what I'm looking forward to, and I'm really, really excited about it. I can't wait. I feel like I've come back full circle to be. This is what I am. This is where I'm really happiest. Is just making something that's just really pushing, and people just kind of look at it and just go, that's a fantastic hat and probably never wear it. But um, I don't know if that even matters at the moment. I'd like people to. I'm making them so they're wearable, but I want them to make something sculptural. Yeah, and I think sometimes that's where the art aspect of it comes in, isn't it? So I think so. I think, I think, 
I've been losing that a little bit. That's natural because I've been following different creative paths and doing some more designing. But sometimes designing can be um, not artistic enough because sometimes the process and the construction of the design takes over and then all the other elements take over. And you just think, actually, no, I just want to kick all that away. And I just want to make this thing and say, sod it, if nobody likes it, well, it doesn't matter because I do. You've got to, I, I need that creative fulfillment, really. And so far, so good. The hats that I've shown to people, that people have seen, they've been absolutely overwhelmed with them. One of them is coming out next month, called a pattern called Tucked, that I designed last year and put up on my blog. And I put the photos up on the blog. And since then, I still get regular emails. People have spotted it on Pinterest. People have gotten in touch with me all the time saying, when is that hat coming out? And I just, that's great because I just, it's one of these out there hats that I'm just pushing my own buttons for. And it's just like everybody's loving it. So it's right. Okay, that's good. That's good. I'm going in the right direction again. Super, that's brilliant. Mm. Well, I'm conscious that we've kept you for quite a long time already. And um, so I think we'll wrap up there. But thank you so much for coming on the show and for sharing all of your creative process and your top tips with us. It's really very much appreciated. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed being here and chatting away. <laughs> no problem. Well, I think that's all we've got time for. Thank you very much for listening and a huge thank you to Woolly for coming on to the show and sharing so much of her process and her creative ideas and her, and her background with us. I find it really interesting uh, listening to her and I'm sure you did too. There's quite a lot of things I didn't know about Woolly that I know now. So um, all that remains for me to say is don't forget to go and vote in the UK Podcasters Awards. You've only got a week left. Just reminding you in case you've drifted off into a sculptural hat sort of fantasy world and uh, you're, you're mentally knitting all your stuff, uh, just to remind you to go and do that. But I hope you will all have a lovely week. Happy crafting and I'll speak to you all again soon. Bye. You've been listening to the Shiny Bees podcast, a podcast for those who like their knitting, comedy and yarn in equally large measures. If you'd like to get in contact with me, you can do so via the blog or I'm Shiny Bees on Ravelry, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest and Facebook. You can email me at shinybeesinfo at gmail.com. Music for this episode is provided via Music Alley and it is Adam and the Water Boys and I Need a Drink. I need a drink.